Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingas shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready because it's time to experience this. Get ready for the final episode of season 10 of the experience this show. Join us as we discuss an airline that decided to stop providing telephone customer service, how to improve on the B2B experience, and a government crackdown on unnecessary fees. Avoiding, bettering, and ending. Oh, my. The ending was a double entendre because it's our last episode. I got it. I see what you did there. Okay. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? Hello, you've reached Frontier Airlines, home of low fares done right. But Espanol, diga Espanol. At Frontier, we offer the lowest fares in the industry by operating our airline as efficiently as possible. We want our customers to be able to operate efficiently as well, which is why we make it easy to find what you need at flyfrontier.com or on our mobile app. We also have a chat service available 24-7. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, that's all you get when you try to call the customer service phone number for U.S.-based Frontier Airlines. There are no more humans answering the phone, no matter how long you wait. Customers who do need help are asked to use an online chatbot, social media channels, text, or WhatsApp. Now, we have talked about airlines many, many times on this show, way too many to go back and list all of the episode numbers. But I got to say, I think this one is a first, Joey. (laughs) And that is why we just had to talk about this. So according to CNBC... Quote, Frontier, which charges fees for everything from advanced seat assignments to carry-on luggage and snacks, is often looking for ways to cut expenses, unquote. (laughs) I would say that's an understatement. The airline blamed higher labor costs and the ability of digital agents to work more than one case at a time as reasons for the change. Now, Joey, I am almost afraid to ask you this. What do you think about this decision? Well, a couple of things come to mind immediately, Dan. Number one, as a general rule here at the Experience This Show, we don't talk about negative customer experiences and call out brands by name. But this story was all over the news in recent weeks. And, you know, it's just... I'm perplexed. I understand and I appreciate that Frontier is trying to be the lowest cost airline. They're trying to be super efficient. They're trying to pinch every penny and pay attention to you know every nickel that they spend. But the flip side of that is 
We talked about the Salesforce uh, state of marketing report in our last episode. And if you recall, I pointed out that it was interesting that even though there are trillions of emails sent, customers prefer to talk on the phone. So I don't understand why you would turn off the phone. And the answer they gave, and I'm sorry, when they say, you know, oh, well, because our digital agents can work more than one case at a time. That's why we like that. Let me get this right. Because your people can multitask, you're eliminating the ability to connect directly with a one-on-one customer to serve their needs. And let's be candid, the reason most people call in is when there's a problem. Usually don't call in to book a flight. Usually don't even call in to change a flight. You usually call in when your flight has been canceled or there's a major issue with your flight. I'm just looking at this thinking, God love Frontier. They weren't considered to be cutting edge on the customer experience before now. I worry that this could be the beginning of the end in terms of customer experience moves. Well, I'm glad you brought up this idea of the channel that customers prefer because... Spokesperson Jennifer F. Dela Cruz said in a statement, and this is according to CNN, that, quote, we have found that most customers prefer communicating via digital channels, unquote. Now, I kind of think this is a little misleading. And let me explain to you why. I remember during my time at Discover, when the number of digital interactions finally exceeded the number of telephone interactions. This was something we had been charting for years. I remember the day when the two graphs crossed each other and we finally had more digital interactions than phone interactions. Now, I suppose at the time we could have said, quote, most customers prefer communicating via digital channels. But what that would have been missing was that there were still several million people calling us every year. Well, and and if we're only tracking interactions... That means somebody checking their account balance or downloading a statement or making a payment, things that customers prefer to do in an automated fashion would be counting towards the tally of digital interactions. While, again, I point back to the fact that the reason most people call is because they haven't been able to solve the problem digitally or in an online fashion Or the situation is so bad that they're like, I need a human right now. Yes. And and often in that case, a chatbot is not going to be the answer, which gets me to a second thing that was said in the media by Jack Filene, Frontier's Senior Vice President of Customers. Now, he said this during the company's November 15th investor presentation, quote, Think about the most sort of obscure question a customer might ask that would take a call center agent many, many minutes to research and find an answer to. The chatbot can answer that very quickly. (laughs) Now, I have to be honest, Joey. What chatbots is he using? I'm sorry. What what glorious chatbot has he found himself being able to access? Uh, Agreed. I mean, I got to be honest. That is not my impression of chatbots either. In fact, I would say my experience is exactly the opposite, that chatbots are very useful for repetitive, mundane questions. But as soon as it's something really obscure, that's when they have trouble. You know, all I can think about is these folks need to swarm. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat kidding, but I'm, I'm very much actually 
speaking the truth. And it's not just because of our amazing partners at Coveo and how they use technology to solve these exact type of problems. What I, I'm struggling to understand here is there seems to be such a disconnect between this decision and at least your reality as a customer and my reality as a customer. And I imagine most of our listeners' realities as a customer. I, I just... I feel like this is a little bit of a fantasy world or kind of a a justification after the fact of a decision that was really based on dollars, not at all experience. I know I've said this before at least once in our 10-season history here, but one of the best compliments that I ever got when I was working in corporate America, and this changed the trajectory of my career, got me into customer experience, to be honest, was the chief digital officer at Discover said to me, that he had been observing me in business meetings. And he said, you are always wearing the customer hat. You are always looking at business problems through the lens of the customer. And my first thought was, well, no, duh. But then I was like, wait a second. I'm not sure that I realized I was doing that, but I absolutely was. And what that means is it's okay to solve a business problem. We need to make more money or we need to save money. That's a, It's okay to, to try to figure that out. But if you don't figure it out while looking through the lens of the customer, you make decisions like this. You make decisions that are not good for the customer that might save you money here, but are likely going to cost you money somewhere else, i.e. a customer saying, you know what, I don't think I want to fly this airline anymore. I'm going to go to one of their competitors. So obviously that remains to be seen. But... I think what we can learn from this, uh, I want to go back to a, a quote that was in my book that I wish I said, but I didn't. It was Chris Zane, the founder and CEO of Zane's Cycles. And he said this more than a decade ago. He said, customer service starts when the customer experience fails. And you kind of alluded to this earlier, Joey. In other words, we really wouldn't need a customer service center if our customer experience was perfect every time. Now, barring that, which is not likely for many companies, if flyers are calling Frontier, it is likely because they have a question or they're experiencing a problem. Now, my advice would be, why not try to solve the underlying issue that is causing the problem that is causing them to call in the first place, which will end up deflecting those calls and saving money? Now, I like to say that competing on price is a loser's game. Except as you pointed out, it is definitely the game that Frontier is playing. They want to be the low-cost carrier in the U.S. So what's next? No pilots? No engines? It's a slippery slope for sure. Are you tired of not knowing the answer to customer questions? Do you wish everyone on your customer support team had a high level of subject matter expertise so they could respond to customers efficiently and accurately? If so, maybe it's time for you to swarm. Thanks for calling We Paint It. This is Charlie. How may I make your walls brighter today? Oh, well, <laughs> thanks for asking. I'm actually trying to figure out if I'm able to use a filbert brush with your chocolatey chipper brown paint. I know I've seen a knowledge base article about which brushes can be used on which paints. I think it's even in the self-service section on a website. Sure, let me find that for you. Please hold for just a second. 
Let's see here. Bright brush, fan brush, angle brush. Ah, no filbert brush. I'm gonna need to swarm. Hey, does anyone know if a customer can use a filbert brush with our paints? They can? Great. Let me just update this article so the next time someone calls or tries to self-serve, they'll see it. Hello, sir. Thanks for holding. In fact, the filbert brush will do just fine with any of our paints, including the chocolatey chip brown. Swarming is a framework that allows your support team to draw or paint on the collective knowledge of your entire enterprise. Think of it like a beehive. When an agent initiates a swarm, Coveo's AI-powered software instantly identifies the best subject matter experts in your organization. These experts, think of them as bees, gather in a dedicated Slack channel to workshop a solution in real time. Like a group of bees, they collaborate to produce the best honey. Once they've identified the best answer, the bees go back to their other tasks, leaving behind not only the golden answer you seek, but a honeycomb-like framework that makes answering questions like this easier and faster next time. Swarming is a great way to continuously update your company's knowledge base for both agents and customers. To find the sweet solutions your customer service team needs, swarm on over to get.coveo.com slash experience this. That's G-E-T dot C-O-V-E-O dot com slash experience this, where you can access an ebook with an overview of how swarming works and schedule a demo to see how swarming can help your team deliver better customer and agent experiences. We're excited to give you an overview of an important book you should know about, as well as share some of our favorite passages as part of our next book report. Today's book report is written by a friend of mine, Jim Tincher, who runs a consultancy called Heart of the Customer. He previously led CX programs at Best Buy and United Health Group and was actually the second person in the world to be certified by the CXPA, the Customer Experience Professionals Association. Now, Jim is really good at complex customer journey mapping, and there's certainly not much more complex than the world of B2B or business-to-business companies. And as we've discussed on this program before, oftentimes B2B leaders don't think that customer experience applies to them because they're selling to a company and not a person. But we here at Experience This Know Better because that buyer on the other end of the transaction is a person. Now, Jim's new book is called Do B2B Better, Drive Growth Through Game-Changing Customer Experience. And here's Jim to tell us what it's all about. This is Jim Tincher, author of the book Do B2B Better, Drive Growth Through Game-Changing Customer Experience. I want to share a little bit more about how this book came about and why it matters to you. Three years ago, our team at Heart of the Customer were sitting down discussing why is it that most programs, according to the research we've seen, can't show that their work is truly impacting the business. They can't monetize it. And Genesis's research from Pointless, or subdivision, shows the same thing. It's a top issue. So we want to understand why is it that some programs can, but most can't. And that led us to conduct over 200 hours of interviews with customer experience leaders, surveying hundreds more. And we came up with something called the customer experience loyalty flywheel. That is that when you 
improve the customer experience. That experience gets better. Customers become more emotionally engaged, so they buy more. The company gets stronger, freeing up money for more investment, continuing the flywheel. Now, we all believe that, or we wouldn't be in customer experience. The difference, though, is that a change maker, those who can show they're having impact, they prove it. And they follow four actions to differentiate them from the rest. That's the core of the book. First of all, they establish a specific link to value, such as net revenue retention, showing how improved customer experience drives that result. Second, they accelerate the flywheel through an emotional North Star, one emotion that is proven to improve customer engagement leading to more purchases, such as trust or confidence. That's a design target and is actually measured by these programs. Third, they use the customer ecosystem data to evaluate the flywheel, the behavioral, operational, descriptive, and financial data. And lastly, use deliberate change management to bring across the whole organization. We've highlighted B2B companies, but applies to everybody. Get the book and learn more about it. Well, one thing is for sure. If you can't calculate an ROI for customer experience, you're probably not doing it right. And then no wonder it's hard to get executive buy-in. Which brings me to my favorite passage from the book, Dan. It comes from chapter 11. What do I need to do to get the support of senior leaders? And I quote, Change begins with giving executives and employees a reason for the change. Posters claiming that, quote, the customer is our top priority don't accomplish this. Even the organizations with the least effective customer experience have signs on the wall trumpeting, quote, customers first. Customer-focused statements are important, but hardly sufficient. Employees see when your actions don't back up your words, and they know when to pay attention and when to ignore you. Your case for change must show why and how to change. What I love about this is, and, and I appreciate that so many of the folks that listen to experience this would never do something as simple as throw up a poster and hope for the best. But many corporations do. And respectfully, a lot of B2B corporations do because they're so caught up in their B2B uniqueness that they think, well, we'll just slap a couple of posters on the wall and we'll launch an initiative over in that department and suddenly we'll solve the problem. We really need to look for ways to double down on the connection, to double down on the experience. And that includes the experience that our senior leaders are having when we're talking about these type of activities and initiatives. It's not enough to just come up with a catchy phrase. We've got to do more. We've got to show more. We've got to draw the connection in a way that is meaningful to them. I got to tell you, Joey, I've seen B2Bs that putting up a poster might actually be a step forward. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's very true. I, I mean, when, when B2Bs refer to their customers as logos, because that's how they show up on the pitch documents, you know that you're behind the times in customer experience. Hey, my favorite passage comes from chapter five, which is called, What are my customers' highest value emotions? I was drawn to this because when I talk about immersive experiences, one of the components of my wiser methodology, emotions play a huge role. When we can hit on the right customer emotion at the right time, that's when we know we've created something special. So here is what Jim wrote. Determining the right emotions to measure and manage depends on the company and type of experience. 
If United Healthcare elected to create enthusiastic consumers, that would be confusing and likely frustrating for both the company and its customers. Similarly, if Disney elected to use customer confidence as its emotional North Star, that wouldn't accelerate the CX loyalty flywheel to the extent that joy does. The right emotions also vary by brand within a market. Compare Publix with Aldi. While both are excellent grocery stores, they deliberately create very different emotional outcomes for shoppers. Publix works to create an inspiring experience, offering amazing sub-sandwiches and cooking demonstrations that Aldi would never consider. For its part, Aldi focuses on enabling shoppers with low prices and high quality, likely driving an outcome of confidence that Aldi has what they need. Both are maximizing emotional outcomes, but focusing on different ones. The same can be said about Walmart and Target, Ikea and Ashley Furniture, and Ruth's Chris Steakhouse compared to Buffalo Wild Wings. Even Amazon and Zappos, while under the same corporate umbrella, design for different emotional North Stars. Zappos is famous for focusing on happiness, but Amazon's emotional North Star is trust. Now, I have to say, Joey, I, I feel like it would be really fun to just name a whole bunch of brands and then match them with the emotion that they're trying to evoke. I'm thinking maybe this is a new segment or game that we can play next season. <laughs> I love it. Season I love 11. It. But meanwhile, as we always do, we like to ask authors to read their favorite passage. So here again is Jim Tincher with his favorite passage from Do B2B Better. Dow equals enjoyable, page 92. You might think that the chemical ordering process is the last place to focus on emotions, but you'd be wrong. I first met Jen Zamora, Senior Director of Global Customer Experience and Commercial Excellence at Dow at the time, when we were mapping Dow's complaint experience. Customers told the company that, that the way they managed complaints was cumbersome, with no clear ownership of issues and limited transparency on progress. Jen told us her goal was to create a complaints process that was enjoyable. I was pretty sure that I heard her wrong. Not easy or effective, but enjoyable complaints experience? She confirmed that was exactly her goal. Dow considers an effective and easy experience to be table stakes. So Dow designs for enjoyable experiences. When I interviewed Jen at a conference, she shared the philosophy behind this approach. Everybody who transacts business wants an easy and effective transaction, and we strive to deliver against that. But when you take it to the next level and understand what makes the experience enjoyable, you start to tap into a different aspect of the customer psyche. You tap into the emotional connection. And that's what we've been able to prove out over the last couple of years. Easy and effective are table stakes, but the enjoyable aspect is when a customer has to choose a supplier if your experience is enjoyable, nine times out of 10, you're going to go back to for the enjoyable experience. Easy and effective are table stakes. I love the concept of making a B2B experience enjoyable because that's an adjective we usually attribute to B2C or business-to-consumer transactions. B2Bers listening to the show, think about the last experience you had as a consumer that you really enjoyed. How might you create something similar for your business? While you're thinking about that, pick up a copy of Jim's book, Do B2B Better, Drive Growth Through Game-Changing Customer Experience. You'll already be one step ahead of the competition. 
Even better, if you have a B2B business and you want to make the experience better and think you'd love a copy of Jim's book, let us know. We've got some copies that we would love to share with our loyal listeners. Send an email to dan at dangingus.com or joey at joeycoleman.com and we will hook you up with your very own Do B2B Better book so that you can start to create some game-changing customer experiences in your business. Did you know, besides from being a podcast co-host and two-time author, I am also a keynote speaker? Wait a minute. I too am a keynote speaker, Dan, and soon to be two-time author. Ah, yes. Yet another thing we have in common. No wonder we call each other brothers from another mother. But it's true. We both make a living speaking at conferences, industry events, corporate gatherings, all-employee meetings, association expos, and more. That's right. And we even did an event together back in 2019 in which we both gave separate keynote presentations on stage and then got together to record a live episode of Experience This as the closing keynote at Cytel Group's Empower CX event. Now, that was a good time. So if you're interested in having me or Joey speak at your next event, or even better, both of us, please reach out to discuss your options our availability, and what we can do to deliver a remarkable experience for your audience. You can email me at dan at dangingus.com or me at joey at joeycoleman.com. And don't forget to mention that you're a loyal listener of the Experience This Show. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. Today's CX Press comes from Reuters and is titled, Biden Targets Hidden Junk Fees from Banks, Cable TV, Concert Tickets. President Joe Biden recently announced a crackdown on surprise fees, often referred to as junk fees or nuisance fees that consumers are forced to pay on cable bills, bank accounts, hotel rooms, and concert tickets. The announcement followed new guidance from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB, saying that overdraft and NSF, non-sufficient funds, fees are likely illegal under current law. These are junk fees, President Biden told reporters at the formal press briefing. They benefit big corporations, not consumers, not working families. And that changes now. The Federal Trade Commission, FTC, also voted to launch a rulemaking process that would attempt to reduce junk fees for event ticketing, hotels, funeral homes. Man, I hadn't heard that one before. That's horrible. And more. The idea is to highlight fees that consumers never consented to or charging mandatory fees with little or no added value. Other industries being looked at, auto dealers, airlines, and broadband. You know, a couple of years ago, I wrote an article for Forbes about resort fees in Las Vegas. I learned then that this is an issue that really riles up certain interest groups that article got more views than any of the other 100 or so I wrote for Forbes over the years. So Joey, how did we get here? Is this just pure corporate greed? Well, I don't know if it's pure corporate greed, but I think we got here 
at a time, right? These little things creep in. Now, I understand when we originally came into these type of fees, folks' first experience with these type of fees might have been in the context of shipping and handling charges. When you would buy something and they're like, hey, you have to pay a little bit more for us to pack the item up and ship it to you. I get it. And I understand these type of fees when someone has to do extra work to make the thing happen. What drives me crazy and why I love that they're going to be making some big moves related to junk fees is when we are charged these fees for doing things that require less time. Let me give you an example. ACH fees and bank transfer fees. If I go into my online bank account and I type in Dan's routing number, Dan's account number, and I say, send Dan $10, I have actually saved the bank money. They didn't have to have anyone else check that or process that. It's all done automatically. Now, what many banks will do is they'll say, if you want Dan to get that $10 immediately, You have to pay us a quarter or 50 cents or maybe even a dollar in some places because we have a dollar minimum fee. Others might say, well, it's a sliding scale depending on how much you're doing. But if you're willing to wait five or 10 days, then you can transfer for free. Meanwhile, they're going to make the interest on that five to 10 days on the float and make more money than they would have made on the fee. What I think this... uh, crackdown on these type of fees is trying to address is just how out of control this has gotten. Well, and I think the problem arises from companies focusing on transactions instead of relationships. And yeah, you can make some money on a transaction by charging an extra fee. And as you pointed out, sometimes that is reasonable. I mean, the shipping itself, I mean, someone's got to pay UPS or FedEx or the Postal Service to ship it. And and it's okay for companies to push that expense back to the customer. But when we're so focused on the transaction that we forget about the fact that this customer hopefully is going to be with us for a long time, then the viewpoint shouldn't be, let's try to squeeze every nickel out of them. Because again, as we've said many times on the show, that's a great way to get the customer to run, not walk to your competitor who isn't doing that. Well, I think it's even potentially more nefarious than that, Dan, because often the idea behind these junk fees is to hide the fee so that the price actually looks smaller. This shows up with concert tickets. In fact, I just went to an event recently where there was the concert fee and then there was a digital ticket delivery fee. Now wrap oh, your because that, that email costs a lot yeah, of money. Like wrap your head around that. I'm like, wait a minute. If I want it printed and mailed to my house, I understand potentially paying a fee for that because again, a human has to get involved. Someone has to print it. Someone has to put it in the post. They've got to pay for the postage to get it there. But if they're going to just send me an email, why do I have to pay the same amount or even more for that level of service when I already bought the ticket? And I'll tell you why. It's because they were used to getting shipping fees and they would charge you 
$10 to ship something that cost them a dollar. So there was a $9 profit there. And then all of a sudden, when tickets went digital, they're like, well, where's our $9 going to go? Well, I know. Let's charge a digital delivery fee. Yeah. And what's really crazy is they would charge you that for all the tickets. So I purchased four tickets for my wife and my two boys to go to this family event, this family you know, based show. And I had to pay the digital ticket fee for each of the tickets. Ugh, and I'm like, really? Come on, just charge me one fee for the whole group. It's not like you're adding on because you have to send an additional link in the email. Now, the FTC says that these type of fees also include, quote, goods or services that consumers would reasonably assume to be included within the overall advertised price. Unquote. This is where I always start to imagine the person at an airline that decided to be a great idea to start charging people to check their bags, even though for the first 50 years of air travel, the, that was free. And now all of a sudden, it's something that is charged extra for. And I do think that it's reasonable to assume that as part of the advertised price of buying a ticket that I might be able to bring a piece of luggage on board. That seems pretty reasonable. It does seem more than reasonable. I think another one uh, that falls into this category are those unexpected fees that customers only learn about after the purchase. I'm thinking of, oh, pretty much every hospital bill I've ever received that starts to talk about out-of-network doctors and things that it's like, you called that person in and I didn't know they needed to be here and now I'm paying for that. It, it just, it's like fee after fee after fee. Enough already. I remember when we had our first kid getting like 30 bills in the mail in the, in the ensuing months and, you know, from all the different out-of-network doctors. Incredible. And of course, the last thing the government is trying to focus on are exploitative or predatory fees that sometimes even exceed the cost of the service itself and unfortunately often target economically vulnerable people. The White House also reported on the total amounts of these fees across certain industries, and it is staggering. Credit card late payment fees, $12 billion a year. Bank overdraft and non-sufficient funds fees, $15 billion a year. Hotel resort fees, $3 billion. Airline baggage and change fees, $6 billion. And cable hidden fees, I don't know exactly what all this encompasses, $28 billion according to one estimate. Uh, I think the ones that stick out to me are either fees for things that used to be free, like the checked baggage, or that resort fee, including access to the fitness center. It's like, really? Make me pay if you want to to use the fitness center, but why are you charging me for things that you're promoting as your amenities, but then I may or may not use? I don't know. The other one that drives me bonkers is the, hey, you can have the regular slow internet for free, but if you pay $4.99, you can have the enhanced internet, which by the way, folks, if you ever toggle between those two, it's a negligible difference. There's no difference. Like, there's no difference, no difference at, all. at all. They're just yeah. getting the folks who are like, oh, I better get more because I want to stream a video. Get the free one and you'll stream just fine. Now, I acknowledge having spent nearly three quarters of my corporate career in financial services that some of these fees are actually meant to discourage bad behavior. I mean, if there's no repercussion for not paying your credit card bill, for example, then why would anybody pay their credit card bill, right? But I think that banks need to put all their cards on the table, no pun intended, and take a fresh look at all of these fees and how to better align them with the desired consumer behaviors. And to be fair, several financial institutions have already started to eliminate most or all nuisance fees. So what's the key takeaway here? 
Well, there are better ways to make money off of your customers, like providing a great product or service at a fair price, offering an exceptional experience and customer service, or encouraging customers to both come back themselves and tell their friends. These fees might make you a few extra bucks up front, but that's no way to build a long-term relationship. Speaking of long-term relationships, we have just unbelievably completed season 10 of the Experience This Show. I know we say this every year, Joey, but time sure flies when you're having so much fun. So what do you say we keep it up a while longer? You know, Dan, if you're game and our listeners game, I'm game too. As usual, we're going to be taking January off to recharge from the holidays and find the latest and greatest customer experience stories. But don't worry, we'll be back on February 14th for season 11 of the Experience This Show. Look at that. We're talking about long-term relationships, and here we are coming back on Valentine's Day. You cannot plan this stuff, folks. Or maybe you can. I don't know. And now it's time to thank all of the amazing people who help us get this show on the air every week, starting with Dr. Podcast himself, our sound engineer, Daniel Romeros, who does all the sound effects, mixing and post-production of each episode, and, you know, editing out all of our mistakes. And you also catch his voice every once in a while when we have interesting little voiceovers. Surprise tip, folks. We try to work all our friends and family into the show when we can. Thanks to our amazing sponsor this season, Coveo, especially Ashley, Bonnie, and Diane. Joey and I truly had so much fun learning about swarming and creating, well, relatively realistic skits to show how it works. We also shared a number of examples of how Coveo uses AI to create remarkable agent and customer experience. Listeners, don't forget to check out get.coveo.com slash experience this for a terrific ebook and to set up a free demo. And do us a favor, tell them you heard about them on Experience This. Thanks as always to my law school roommate, Davin Seaman, for composing all of the music for the show, the beginning and ending music, and all of those intros to our various segments. And last, but certainly not least, thanks to you, the person listening right now in your car or in the gym or wherever you like to listen to the melodious sounds of our voices. Just like there's no business without customers, there's no podcast without listeners. Please know that we truly appreciate you and you are why we do what we do. Now, during our hiatus and year-round for that matter, you can find us on our websites at dangingus.com and joeycoleman.com. So don't hesitate to reach out and say hello. And if you have an idea for a story we can talk about next season, an interesting customer experience you had, or a report that you came across, or a book that you read that you think our other listeners should know about, we want to hear about it too. So happy holidays to one and all. Happy New Year. And we'll see you next season on Experience This. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show... Yay, you! We're curious. Was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts 
and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience This I ever write. This book is filled with amazing takeaways and ideas and the marginalia where I was kind of writing notes as I was going uh, is... And the margins where I was writing notes is... No, you've said marginalia once before and I called you on it. So I want to call you on it again. (laughs) But it was wrong. That's what I said. Marginalia. It was the wrong way. Marginalia is what you write. You write marginalia in the margins. So I used Uh it in the wrong context. Oh, okay. That's fine. I don't even know where we were. (laughs) Just put that little bit over. Sorry, Daniel. Lots of blooper reel stuff here. What can I say? Ten seasons. We have now been on the air longer than the Beverly Hillbillies, The Love Boat, One Tree Hill, Lost, The West Wing, Seinfeld, The Office, and everyone... Oh, I can't believe I messed that up. That was amazing. That was beautiful. (laughs) Okay. Sorry, Daniel. You know, first uh, line of the year. Start over. And then they had these other badges that were about hyper-focused things that helped them as a business as well. Are you done or do you want me to still talk? I was hoping you were going to maybe say something and then I'll close. (laughs) (laughs) That'd be brilliant. Daniel, go ahead and put that one in the bloopers reel. (laughs) You ready? That's all. We're going to start with a restart. Thank you for calling Need for Speed Incorporated. This is Phil Mater Smith. How can I help you? Uh, Joe, are you going to start with the beginning or just start right in the middle? Oh, sorry. (laughs) Classic. (laughs) That was a great take too. Oh, well. Sorry, Daniel. I I thought that... Yeah, yeah. Sorry. My bad. You know, a road trip to Missouri, I know not something that a lot of people uh, necessarily had on their bucket list before listening to this segment of Experience This, but hopefully they will now. Did you want to riff a little bit more or is that your riff? I think we could keep going. I don't have a whole lot more to say. It's a great story. But All right. Well, sure we can tr- a- I'll just wrap it up and that's another one for the blooper reel. Wrap it right up. Wrap it right up. All righty. You've reached Acme Cybersecurity. My name is Skyler. Am I correct? This is Miss Herring. God. Jeez, you tried to do a voice and it sounds ridiculous. <laughs> that You know what I did, Daniel? I threw him off with the role playing the name of Skyler. <laughs> okay, here, let's that try this again. Looper reel. Let's have a do over. Yeah, it was it was absolutely crazy. And I know you're a gin guy, Dan. Uh, you know, to call us back to uh, an episode, I'm sure you remember the name and the number that we did, you know, ages ago where you talked about making your own uh, Sipsmith gin drinks, I think it was. Hey, very good memory there, Joey. And if uh, Daniel will do us a favor and just pause for a second, I'll go figure out what episode It's in the notes, is. dude. It's in the what notes. Is? I gave you, it to you. you I did it already? Up. I teed it up for you. <gasps> You're the best. I'm looking out for you. <clears throat> I love you so much. Uh, where are we? Uh, I see it. Are you even following about... along? <laughs> no, I, I'm looking at my part, which is an egg, but now I see it's in the red. Okay. Yeah. 50,000 people in a middle seat and your likelihood is winning one in 50,000 or is that 500,000 or 5 million? So I'd be curious as to what the prize is on the sweepstakes. You okay? I'm fine. Please continue. <laughs> Dan has passed out. Love it. Absolutely love it. You know, I'm going to do another callback because, hey, this is the season of callbacks. And so I'm going to bring us all the way back to I Have No Idea. 
And so I'm going to keep talking. Now you can and I will pause, pause again. <laughs> I love, this is called Writing the Episode in Real Time by Dan Kingus. This was something we had been charting for years. And I remember the day when the graphs crossed, crossed each when the graphs crossed each other and we then we now had when the graphs <laughs> This is a beautiful oh, sentence. Oh my goodness gracious. <laughs> <laughs> That's all folks.